We cannot fear the Lord unless we have the Spirit of Christ. No amount of work on your part will bring about a fear of the Lord unless you first have the Spirit of Christ in you. Christ, who the New Testament tells us, was the wisdom of God. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part three of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs, a 12-part study in the book of Proverbs from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor Paul's text is Proverbs chapter one, verses one through seven. Psalm 119, verse nine asks, how can a young man keep his way pure? Then answers this way, by guarding it according to God's word. Whether that psalmist wrote this before the Proverbs were published is not known, but Solomon's introduction includes a plea from him begging his son, quote, hear my son, your father's instructions and forsake not your mother's teaching, end quote. Pastor Paul taught yesterday, urging us to not just digest the wisdom and excellence of Proverbs for ourselves, we're to pursue excellence and pass on what we've learned and we must desire to teach or disciple others about wisdom from Proverbs. We must continue to teach the gospel, for without the Spirit of God drawing young people to biblical wisdom, it is impossible for them to pick it up in secular culture. Here's part three of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs. And if indeed Solomon is setting up the mechanics of this book in these first few verses, is if he is telling us this is how the Proverbs operate, Then as we think through how to apply this introduction in our church, one logical outworking of this principle is simply to say that as we pursue excellence, there must be a passing on of what we've learned. There must be a a desire to teach others, or you might even say to disciple. Now, That doesn't mean that we should all of us aspire to teach in some kind of formal capacity. The New Testament gives warnings against such desires. But it is fair to say that if we do belong to the community, then at some point it would be appropriate to exert influence on those around you. At some point it is right and proper that you pass on what you have learned. This principle highlights the responsibility that we have towards the young people in our church. Did you notice who's in view in this verse? It says, to give prudence to the simple. Now, there are many characters in the narrative of Proverbs. The simple is one of them. The the son is another. The fool is another. Lady wisdom, lady folly, the mother and the father. There are many different characters in the narrative of Proverbs. The simple is not the fool. The two are different. The fool consciously rejects wisdom. We can see that at the end of our text, at the end of verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fool knowingly and intentionally turns his back on the wisdom that is given. That is not the idea of the simple who is in view in verse 4. The simple, by contrast, you would describe simply as being naive. 
The simple is gullible. The simple is easily led astray. He doesn't know any better. Now, the simple, he is malleable. He is capable of being shaped. He is capable of being formed by wisdom, but he is young. He lacks sense. He is not shrewd. He is not wise. He is weak-willed, and he is easily seduced. And so what that does is it puts this young, simple man in a position of great danger. If you read through the first nine chapters of Proverbs, what you see is that the simple man keeps coming into view. And every time there are two competing worldviews who are crying out for his allegiance. There is the worldview of wisdom and there is the worldview of folly. And right towards the end of the extended introduction, chapter 9, we see the two come together. And sure enough, it's happening again. Lady Wisdom is crying out to the simple, come in here. Come into my house and choose the good path. Make a good choice and live. And then to contrast is Lady Folly. And she shouts exactly the same plea. Come in here. And the, the allure of folly is quick returns. It is fast gains. It is immediate gratification. But the end is always death. And so the simple man has a decision to make. Proverbs doesn't hide. He has to make a choice. The problem is he stands in a position of vulnerability. He's not equipped to make a good decision. He is incredibly impressionable. He is easily swayed. He doesn't have the wisdom to choose wisdom. According to the logic of Proverbs, as we see it in chapter 1, verse 4, we have a moral responsibility to train up the younger generation in the pursuit of wisdom. Of course, we must teach them the gospel as of first importance. And we rehearse the gospel with our young people over and over again. And yes, absolutely, we teach our young people sound doctrine. We build out the gospel and we give it legs and we explain all of the implications that flow out from the cross. But that doesn't mean that we neglect the training up of our young people in the area of wisdom. We must give our attention to the gray areas. Just this last summer, I read a, a book entitled The Vanishing American Adult. It was written by a Christian senator who argues that currently we have a generation of young people who refuse to grow up. They're stranded in Neverland. He dissects the problem and, and argues it's a multifaceted problem, which it is. And to be sure, there is much to say about the generation and their unwillingness to grow up and to take responsibility and start contributing to society. But at the same time, it cannot be denied that a significant share of the burden rests with the preceding generation. If our young people grow up not knowing how to live skillfully in the gray areas, at least in part it is because we have not taught them well. Son, one day you're going to earn a salary. What does that mean? 
And how, how do you budget? And how, how do you look at that paycheck and how do you use it in such a way that the Lord would be honored? Son, one day you're going to get married. How do you find a wife? What would be some good qualities to look for? How do you make a good choice and how do you make a really good choice? Son, one day you're going to be an employee. You're going to work and it's going to come about really soon. How how can you be a really good employee? How can you work in a way that honors God's word and honors God himself? And how, how do you balance the responsibilities that your job will place upon you with the other responsibilities that exist outside of your job? We spoke with our daughters just the other night. We were talking through our budget and we ended up having a conversation about what a credit card was. And we explained the difference between a credit card and a debit card. And the fact that you could use both in a way that honors the Lord, you can. And you can use both in a way that is totally reckless. These are gray area issues. They are not, first and foremost, fundamentally issues of sin and and righteousness, though they can quickly become those things. It's all in the area of skillful living. And we have a responsibility to be training up the next generation to be passing on the wisdom that has been entrusted to us. Now, we could go further and think through how that is passed on. The way in which we pass on wisdom, there is most certainly a a didactic, formal, instructive sense to passing on wisdom, as we find it set up for us in the book of Proverbs. But at the same time, think about just how physical the book of Proverbs is. So many of the instructions in Proverbs concern the body. We're told to to incline the head or or to turn the eyes. Or we're told to to set the hands or to set the feet or to withhold your steps, to incline your ear and, and so on and so forth. The point, I think, is that wisdom is always a whole body or a whole life pursuit. It is never merely mental. The pursuit of excellence always requires all of who you are, all of the time. If we take that principle and map it across to think through how we would rightly pass on wisdom to the next generation, I would argue that wisdom is not only taught, but it is also caught. To give wisdom involves investment in people's lives. Life on life, day by day, so that the simple can observe, and they can begin to imitate. As a point of application, it is worth asking what influence you are having in this church. Is there anybody who is benefiting from your membership here? Is there any burden in you to pass on your wisdom to those in your life? Is there any expression of discipleship in your life? however informal that might be? Or do you simply come here as a consumer, seeking to grow, but with no concern to grow others? If that is the case, then you're misinformed about the pursuit of excellence. The fourth principle, verse five, is to persevere. To persevere. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. Now, 
The New American Standard Version reads, a man will hear, a wise man will hear an increase in learning. But actually, the, the particular form of the verb in the original is not making a declarative statement. It's not stating a fact of something that will unquestionably happen, but it kind of takes the form of an implied command, an implied imperative. The ESV has got it right when they say, let the wise hear. Let this happen. Make sure the wise hear an increase in learning. So it becomes a simple statement, again, to pursue excellence, to pursue skillful living. But have you noticed who's in view? If I had asked you before the sermon this evening, to whom is the book of Proverbs written, there would probably be many different answers given, the, the fool or the son or, or the simple. Many different answers. I don't imagine you would have said it's written to the wise man. And yet that is exactly who is in view here. The wise man, in contrast to the fool, has taken hold of the wisdom. He's, he's applied it in his life and he's lived it out consistently such that everywhere he goes, wisdom now characterizes him. People now know him as a wise man, as a sage, one who makes good decisions. And Solomon says, let that one increase in learning. Let that man keep going after wisdom. The point is simply that your pursuit of excellence can never be over. We must keep on. We must keep on pursuing wisdom. Whatever you know of this book, you are not done. And whatever skill you might have in life, there is more to get. Notice the second verb, increase, add to. Let him augment his treasury of wisdom. The book of Proverbs itself sets up this ongoing cycle of, of wisdom, exhorting the reader to keep coming back. If it is true that a dog returns to his own vomit as a fool returns to his folly, then it must also be true in your life that you keep returning to wisdom. Picture the scene again. Solomon is sat on his throne. His son is before him. Solomon is desperate that his son would listen to his words. Solomon says, son, really soon I won't be around and you'll be in this seat reigning over this nation. He says, life is going to get really busy for you. Your responsibilities will just increase. And there'll be so many things that you choose to sideline and that work their way down your priority list. But son, if there is one thing that I want you to keep up there with all of the other important things going on, it is the pursuit of wisdom. The danger is always complacency. The danger is always that we believe that we've arrived. I think about the men going through the seminary and what a dangerous position they are in to walk across the stage and receive a certificate to fall into the trap of believing that they have arrived, that they've completed their learning and they know all there is to know about pastoring. And the reality of the matter is their learning has only just begun. And the point is well made when we consider the question of why it is that good people do bad things. 
My friend Harry Walls up at the college preaches from Proverbs and asks the question, why is it that good people do bad things? And what he means by that is that time and time again, we do see upstanding members of the community who have led such a straight path for so long fail morally. How does that happen? From where did that come? How did they fail so tragically when externally it looked like they had everything together? Because there is nobody that's going into a marriage who says, my aim in this marriage is to wreck it. Nobody's going into a relationship saying, my aim will be in 10 years' time to bring this thing off the rails. And yet we see the sin of adultery over and over again. And the answer is because they stopped pursuing excellence. They became complacent. And with just a little bit of complacency, folly creeps in. And just one foolish decision can so quickly lead to a second foolish decision. And over the course of time, it becomes sin. We must persevere in our pursuit of wisdom. Last principle, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The principle is simply to fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It comes last in our list, but it is the theological foundation of this whole book. It is the theological foundation of Proverbs, which is to say, if you do not have the fear of the Lord, then no matter how many hours you study the Proverbs, your efforts will be fruitless. There is nothing to be taken from this book if you are not positioning yourself in such a way that you can receive the material. And you must fear the Lord. Fundamentally, to fear the Lord is an Old Testament concept. It only occurs a few times in the New Testament, that phrase, but it is everywhere in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms and the wisdom literature. Most simply stated, the fear of the Lord is a submission to God's revealed will. That's about as bare bones as you can boil the concept down to. It is a submission to God's revealed will. I want you to notice that it is not a passive concept. All too often we stop short when we define the fear of the Lord in our minds and we think that it, it implies some kind of reverential awe. It begins there, but it does not end there. We begin with that in awe at who God is. Yes, absolutely. But it pushes us on such that we would strain and work hard and sweat and do all that we can to bring our lives under God's word. We would work in every way that we know to submit our heart and our mind and our soul to the commands that rest upon us as New Testament believers. That is what it means to fear the Lord. And when that is your disposition, then you are well-placed to enter into a study of this book and start to grow in wisdom. But for as long as that does not characterize you, then the Proverbs won't be of benefit. Now we can, at this point, think about the fear of the Lord and the, the book of Proverbs in the context of the bigger picture. I said it's an Old Testament concept. You and I know New Testament application, we cannot fear the Lord unless we have the Spirit of Christ. No amount of work on your part will bring about a fear of the Lord unless you first have the Spirit of Christ in you. 
Christ, who the New Testament tells us, was the wisdom of God. It was in wisdom that God sent his son to walk this earth amongst sinful, foolish men. It was according to wisdom that Christ had a ministry amongst those men, never, ever, ever, ever making one foolish decision. It was in wisdom that Christ conducted himself, speaking more skillfully than anyone ever has, knowing how to speak truth and rebuke and comfort to people in a timely way, demonstrating wisdom in the way in which he conducted himself. It was in wisdom that Christ subjected himself to the beatings of men, that like a sheep led to the slaughter, he did not speak back. According to wisdom, he walked towards the cross to die in his death. And according to the wisdom of God, three days later, he rose. And it is only when you cling to that gospel message and you are willing to proclaim that that is indeed the gospel by which you are made right with God, that your sins are forgiven and you know peace with him, when you embrace that message of wisdom, then the Proverbs open up and they are yours to have. And a lifetime of study beckons that you would strive after excellence in all that you do. The gray areas would not be so gray because you understand what God sets forth as his standard. And you would exude wisdom and good choices and not folly led to sin. When Christ is your head, then you are able to pursue a life that honors him. Pursuing excellence in everything. Let's pray to close. Our Father, we are grateful for the book of Proverbs and the wisdom that you have given to us. We do understand that you are an excellent God and we honor you by seeking to represent you well, represent you accurately. We want to live right and holy lives and we want to excel in the gray areas. I pray that you'd help us I pray for anyone here who does not have the spirit of Christ in them, who has not cast themselves upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'd quicken their hearts unto repentance this evening and they would be saved. And as we, the people of God, who have the spirit of Christ in us, understand the way in which you've set up this book, simple principles for the pursuit of excellence, may we be responsible diligent to go after it, to seek to increase in skill and wisdom, to honor you with excellent lives. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Pastor Paul has us picture King Solomon sitting with his son, begging him to take the small things seriously. Son, life will get really busy for you. Wars to fight, internal upheavals, court decisions to adjudicate, but it's the seemingly small gray areas that can be your undoing. Christians have Holy Spirit guidance, but we must work hard at learning and sharing what is taught in God's Holy Scriptures, Old and New Testaments. 
If you want to learn more about following God in daily living, come to our website, timelesstruthtoday.org, timelesstruthtoday.org. Select Broadcasts, and there you'll find an abundance of teaching to help you. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you've been blessed by this program, would you consider a financial gift to help us continue to reach out to the many hungry souls that need the good news of Jesus? As a listener supporter, you'll be part of what God is doing through this outreach program. Simply hit Donate on the homepage to give a gift of any amount. I hope you'll join us tomorrow for part four of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs from Pastor Paul Twiss. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.